this isn't a test, but if you get the right answer, I'll really deeply respect you. So it kind of is. Um, when we had our first gathering, I gave the sort of two general definitions of discipleship. One, we expanded quite a bit on that first gathering that we had. It was to do with being with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. But there was another one that was two questions that we can ask ourselves on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a seasonally basis, and at the start of a new year that will really help us as we discern what God's saying and, uh, yeah, what we do from that. Anyone remember what those two questions are? Pete and Jen, you're okay. You weren't here. Adam, you weren't here. It's fine. So I, I'm, no, I'm not judging, I promise. It is this. What is God saying and what am I going to do about it? So I think that we can view discipleship in those two veins. One is, what does it look like for us to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, go and do what Jesus did? Listen to the podcast of the first one. But we can also ask those two questions. What is God saying to us? And as a consequence of what God is saying to us, whether that be that small whisper that we hear from God as we pray, or those thoughts that we have that we just think, that, that wasn't me, that was definitely something divine coming and speaking to me. Maybe it was those thoughts that we have or those sort of instincts that we might have. We can think to ourselves and we can test, of course, but is that, is that God saying something to us? And what that might be is whatever it is, but then the bigger question, are we going to do something about it? So as I was praying over Christmas um, and just trying to really discern what God was saying to us as church collective, particularly into this new year, particularly into 2024, I was saying, God, what are you saying to church? And I really felt God call us back to that core principle of being a church centred on prayer and building a culture of prayer into everything that we do. Now, before you all get nervous, this is not a new thing that we're suddenly switching on two and a half, into, two and a half years into the life of Church Collective. This is something that has been done from well before we even planted. I know that some of you know this story already, but Hannah and I, with the kids, we moved to Warrington, October 20. We planted our first collective, that was Howley Collective, in September 21. The diocese, although it would have been lovely if they had, didn't just let me be for nine months. They wanted me to do something for nine months. I was finishing off my curacy part-time while I was here, but they said, and it was such a blessing, they said, discern what God is saying for a new church plant here in Warrington. And the only way that we, as Hannah and I, could discern what God was saying for a new church plant in Warrington was to get on our knees and to pray. 
So we would pray day in, day out, week in, week out. From the 1st of January, uh, you all know Mark and Sarah. Mark and Sarah uh, phoned us up New Year's Eve, 31st of December 20. And they said, look, if there's a way that we can be a part of what you're doing, we would love to be a part of it. And I said, great, we're going to meet to pray every week. So every Sunday night, from whatever Sunday it was from the 1st of January, we just prayed together. And we was asking God, God, what are you saying for a church here in Warrington? And clearly we've landed on this model of church that we have. We prayer walked Warrington. That was like in the vicinity of where we were. If you remember, January 21, there was another lockdown. So I could venture to Orford Park, because I know you all know where I live. You know, we could venture to Orford Park, and that was about it, really. Um, but there was uh, one day where I hadn't done any training for it, but I did a circular walk of the whole of Warrington in one day, 18 miles. I'm not bragging, obviously. Um, I got blisters very badly. But it was with every step I was saying, Lord, would you consecrate this land for the work that you are calling church collectives specifically to do? Would you draw people to us that you know are going to be part of the church collective family to seek you, God? Ask, Lord, what are you saying? And what are we going to do about it? So it's not new. It's not new. And every single week since we planted Howley Collective, we have continued to pray every week. But there was this sense of an increased emphasis on prayer in particular, but I would also say, in the other hand, worship as well. This increased sense and emphasis of we need to place that at the centre. As we place Jesus at the centre of all we do, we need to um, uh, place prayer and worship at the centre of all we do, making sure that is culturally in us. So I said, God, okay, if that's what it is, Show me what it is for that to outwork into 24. And I'm still waiting for what that particularly looks like. But what I do know, what I do know is for us to build a culture of prayer here at Church Collective, it starts with each and every one of us building a culture of prayer and worship in our own hearts. Without it starting here, it's not going to spill out as a cultural emphasis across church collective so because God hasn't necessarily revealed exactly what it looks like for us to be a praying church beyond what we're already doing with our uh, Tuesday sort of we're going to start kind of Instagram stuff on Tuesday again Wednesday morning prayer Thursday prayer in worship in location in our house at the moment beyond that not really sure but it will start with us as we go through I'm going to read for us um, from Luke chapter 3. It's not necessarily a common like prayer passage, but it is a clearly defining passage in the life of Jesus. So <clears throat> there's Bibles in front of you. Grab your phones out as so long as you promise me you won't go on Twitter. And we're going to read from Luke 3 verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly. And we're all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He 
will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Continuing for a few more verses. When all the people were, were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. And I'll stop there. Jesus didn't need to be baptised. It's such a phenomenon for us, really, because the reason that John was baptising people was calling them to repentance. We see in Matthew's Gospel, this is the account of that, John says, I baptise you with water for repentance. In Mark's gospel, the same account of the story in chapter 1, verse 4, John says, I baptise for the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's baptism, of which Jesus is baptised by John, is one for the forgiveness of sins. Being washed clean, saying sorry, repenting. And I think for us to start, to in our lives truly build a culture of prayer and worship, we need to start at this place, at a place of repentance, being washed clean of all that muck that is in our lives and saying, I want to start clean, I want to start fresh. Always a great thing to do at the start of a new year. It's a great thing to do daily, we know that. But if we're starting to build something, if it's going to start in our hearts, it needs to start with repentance. So that's great for my point, but Jesus didn't need to be baptised. The core aspect of our faith is that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that pure and spotless Lamb of God, who is sacrificed on our behalf, taking the sins of all the world upon his shoulders so that we can be made righteous before God. So Jesus never sinned. Yet he is baptised by John. In one of the other accounts, John's like, no, 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 I, I can't baptise you. You need to baptise me. We don't see that in the Luke account. But Jesus says, no, I want you to baptise me. If I was to 
just say a, a one-liner as to why Jesus was baptized. We could spend a whole lot more on this. It would be this. Jesus wants to join fallen humanity, not become sin himself, but join fallen humanity for whom he is going to provide righteousness and share in their baptism. Because John's baptism of the forgiveness of sins is calling people out and saying, we are preparing a way for the Messiah. You need to be washed clean of your sins. And this is how we're going to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. And obviously we know the Messiah is Jesus. So Jesus didn't need to be baptised, but the point of that in terms of building our prayer culture is we need to start with an act of repentance. A few more points about Jesus' baptism we're going to look at. Number two, Jesus, by submitting to being washed in baptism by John, is declaring that John's message is true and that people must get prepared to receive salvation. Look back very briefly in chapter 3. Uh, Luke quotes Isaiah. And it says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. That is what John's doing. This is talking about John at this moment in particular. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in every mountain and hill made low. The crooked's road shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. That is Jesus. Mark, at the start of his gospel, accounts these as Jesus' first words, which signify their importance. Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Jesus is saying, as John is saying in his baptism, and as Jesus is saying by being baptised by John, I am the one who has come to give you salvation. Just let that dwell on us for a second. Jesus, who didn't need to be baptised, is being baptised as a sign of joining with us to say, salvation is open for you because of what I am going to do. Why is this significant and why is this particularly relevant for us as we're thinking about building a prayer culture in our hearts? The reason Jesus came to bring salvation for us is so that we can have a relationship with God and be made right in his sight. How do we build a prayer culture in our heart? know that we have that privilege to be in a relationship with God. And I think that any culture that we are trying to instill within the life of Church Collective has to be birthed on Jesus and the relational enjoyment we can have by talking to him, being with him, becoming like him. So that's Point number two. Number three, looking at the baptism of Jesus. God the Father speaks.
speaks over Jesus, doesn't he? Would we not love these words to be spoken over us? You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. God the Father declares three things there. He declares Jesus's identity. He declares a promise over Jesus. And he infers Jesus's purpose. You are my son. That's Jesus's identity. You are the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And we need to note that this baptism story clearly shows us that God is Trinitarian. He is three in one. We see God the Father speaking. We see the Holy Spirit descend on God the Son. All three persons of God are there. But God is declaring, Jesus, you are my son. Proclaims a promise over Jesus. Whom I love. I love you, my son. I love you. That is a promise over him. And the inference of his purpose, with you I am well pleased. I am well pleased of what you are going to do, Jesus, in your life at the start of this, your ministry, and what is to come in three years' time in your death and resurrection. We can have those three things so clearly spoken over us too, friends. What is our identity? That we are children of God. What is a promise that is spoken over us? That we are loved by God. And what is our purpose? Differing from the account of Jesus. It is to be obedient to Jesus as Jesus is obedient to death, even on a cross. So building a prayer culture in our hearts is to know these three things afresh tonight, that we are a child of God, that we are loved, and that is a promise, and that our purpose is to be obedient. And in this case, obedient in prayer and honor of who Jesus is. Great. So, so far, building a culture of prayer, looking at the story of Jesus' baptism, we'd start with repentance. Number two, we are to enjoy that relationship we have because of the salvation that Jesus offers us. And three, <clears throat> we are to know our identity, the promise, and our purpose over our lives. Number four, Notice this, and this is why I've chosen the Luke account of this story. This is not in nor the Mark or the Matthew account. Notice that Jesus is praying as he is being baptised. Let me read it to you again. Please look at it afresh if you wish. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying... 
heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven said, and we've just gone through that. As Jesus was praying, there is such a desire in Jesus' heart to be in communion with the Father. That's even at this point, at this moment, he wants to fully be with the Father in communion with him. Karl Barth, who is a, a theologian, says this. <clears throat> Prayer is asking at its simplest. At its best is conversation. At its deepest is communion. I'll repeat that. Prayer is asking at its simplest. At its best is conversation. At its deepest is communion. There is just this desire in the heart of Jesus to be with God. I wonder if uh, when you heard me introduce what we we're going to talk about tonight, and it was prayer, you were like, oh, I can just, I can just really struggle with prayer sometimes, and I, I find that hard, or I find it hard to carve out the time, or I actually don't necessarily know what to do, or to say, or how to be. Maybe, friends, and uh, if this is not for you, just let it wash off your back. Maybe, maybe we don't have a prayer problem. That might be too hard of a word, but just go with it for now. Maybe we don't have a prayer problem. Maybe what we have is a desiring to be with God problem. Maybe that's what needs to shift as we shift into this emphasis of building a culture of prayer. Prayer maybe needs to not be quite so um, regimented, but have this desire, this burning desire in our hearts, for that's what we want it to be. Jesus, in that moment as well, is prioritising prayer. It's not just that he wants to desire to be in communion with God the Father, but he's prioritizing prayer at that point. He could be using that moment as a teaching moment. Everybody, I don't need to be baptized by John because I have never sinned. Let me tell you why I haven't sinned. Let me tell you why I will never sin. But I'm going to do it anyway because I want to join in with what is happening. Join with fallen humanity to play that part of being baptised. He could use it as a teaching moment. He could use it as a moment to call people to repentance. He could use that moment in so many other ways, yet he is with John and he prioritises communion with the Father. These are examples of Jesus that we can follow as we want to build a life of intentional prayer. And I'd say that was probably the third thing as well. Jesus is intentional in his prayer at that moment because he knows the significance 
of prayer and what is to come. Point five, and the final point as we just look at Jesus' baptism. Point five, Jesus' baptism marks the start of his ministry with an anointing of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is praying, the Holy Spirit comes down, the third person of the Trinity, upon Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. The Trinitarian God is there in that moment, anointing Jesus for the life of ministry that he is about to undergo. And it is with the anointing of the Holy Spirit that Jesus then goes off to start his public ministry. And if we know the story, he actually goes and is tested for 40 days. It is the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit that enables him to be sustained and to work through the next three years of his ministry. How do we build a culture of prayer in our hearts? Friends, we need to be anointed and baptised by the Holy Spirit. Whether that is for the first time here tonight, or whether that is afresh at the start of this new year, as we're saying, Lord, I want to go from this place in an act of commissioning that we'll do in a minute, to minister how you want me to minister here in Warrington, having you, Jesus, at the centre. But I know that I can only do that by being anointed by your spirit, empowered by your spirit. There was a phrase I heard on a podcast that I'm listening to at the moment. It's called the Awakening Network podcast. I'd really recommend it. It's fantastic. But uh, one of the guys said in a previous episode, he said that Jesus prays for relational enjoyment for an empowered partnership. Jesus prays for a relational enjoyment for an empowered partnership. And we see that here. We see both those things. Jesus wants to be in communion. He desires to be in communion with the Father so that he is empowered as a partnership. God three in one going out in Jesus at the start of this, his ministry. So a, just a quick summary of those few things. How do we build a prayerful culture in our hearts? Friends, we need to start with repentance. We then need to enjoy that relationship that we can have with Jesus and knowing of his salvation. We need to be absolutely assured of our identity as children of God, under the promise that God loves us and will always under the purpose that we are called into obedience of both prayer and worship, but also obedience to what is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? Fourthly, pray like Jesus. Use his examples of desiring to be with Jesus, intentional about prayer, prioritising prayer. I do wonder... Um, if, if, you, if you are married or, or have children or in some sort of relationship with others or work colleagues and friends and things, how much do we prioritise uh, being with other people? 
if, if you've got a family, how much should we prioritize taking our children to swimming or, or sports or school? All really, really good things. How much do we rearrange our diaries to see friends, catch up with family? Do we do the same for Jesus and our relationship of prayer being at the centre? And then fifthly, in all this, we need to be empowered by the Spirit. So what does this mean for us as church as we come into land? Well, as I said before, this all starts with us. It starts with all this happening in our hearts, intentionally making that choice to place Jesus and prayer and worship at the centre. But know, friends, that we cannot do this as a church unless we know of the Holy Spirit being with us as we go from this place, empowering us in our hearts, having that relational enjoyment for an empowered partnership. That is where I've got to right now with what it means for us as a church to build a prayer culture. We will come back to this as the Lord reveals more to us as what it is you're saying to us, God, think we've got that but what are we going to do about it can i invite you to stand john can i invite you to come forward at this uh point of our gatherings uh, we have the opportunity to pray and i will lead us all in a general prayer now but if you have something specific that is on your heart or something specifically that I've said, you just want me to lay hands on you and pray over you, I'll go to the back and then I will pray for you. But generally, let's just bow our heads and let's pray together. Lord, if we have lost the emphasis of that relational enjoyment that we can have with you. Would you stir in us a fresh desire to be with you, Jesus? Would you stir in us the way in which we can prioritize prayer above all things? That that is what we rely on that that is what we put at the centre. Because Jesus, we see that you put that at the centre. You put that relational enjoyment with the Father at the core of your being. And Lord, if we need to repent of when we haven't done that, when we have prioritised other things, Lord, we just say we are sorry. Lord, forgive us when you haven't been that core of our lives. But Lord, we know we can't do this without you. And so Lord, as we desire to have that relational enjoyment with you, Lord, would we know that we are empowered 
by your Holy Spirit. So come afresh in this place. Lord, would we receive you either for the first time or afresh at this moment so that we can be empowered by you and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We invite everyone to play their part as we worship creatively, love generously and serve locally.